Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, writers. Welcome to my podcast about writing free MFA. I'm your host, Torre. And when I set out to write something that really matters to me, I got to shuttle through four roles. I call them architect, painter, sculptor, and city planner. Let me get into it. First, architect mode. I've got to plan the piece and develop the structure that I'm going to use. I'll write down some big ideas and themes that I want to get into in the essay or the book or whatever. Just a list in no order so I can start to see what the piece is going to look like. Then I start to plan a little outline because then I can see the big points I want to hit along the way once I have that list. My outline will be just a few words or phrases in order, but that lets me say, okay, I start with this idea, I end with this idea, and I work through these ideas in the middle. It can be a bare bonesy skeleton, but it's got to be something. I can't do much without an outline. If I don't know how I want to finish, how can I know how to start? The beginning informs the end, but the opposite is also true. The end informs the beginning. If I don't know where I'm going, how do I know to get there? If I don't know the overall shape and direction, then how can I know the tone of the piece? The overall direction and mood will shape all kinds of small decisions like how to begin, what analogies are appropriate, what word choices make sense, everything. In a good piece, it all fits together. If it's a bigger piece, like a long essay or a book, I'll create a much more detailed outline and also develop a sort of mood board in my mind, which is another piece of writing or another book or just a piece of something, art, whatever, that helps me inspire the tone and the shape of the piece I want to write. I once wrote an essay meant to evoke the tone of Lolita. Another time I was trying to evoke Joan Didion. My early books were magic realist fiction inspired by Toni Morrison's Song of Solomon and Gabriel Garcia Marquez's 100 Years of Solitude. Put whatever book or painting or whatever on your mental mood board just to give yourself a little direction on the tone and shape of what you want to do. A sort of artistic North Star that can really, really focus you. Okay, after the piece is sufficiently planned, then architect mode is complete and I can enter what I call painter mode. I think about it like that because I once saw this awesome documentary about Jackson Pollock that showed him painting by quickly throwing paint at the canvas without stopping to think or consider what was going on or anything. He was just getting the paint on the canvas as fast as he could, sort of bypassing his conscious mind and letting his subconscious take over. I want to do that in a first draft. Just get words down quickly, move through my points, throw ideas at the page, and not judge what I'm writing. That is critical for a first draft. Don't judge it. Just throw words at the page with your conscious mind on pause. No judgments at this stage. I don't want my conscious mind stepping in to say, no, that's bad. For now, just let it flow. 
Let me pause for a moment and say, I'm a big believer in removing judgment during the writing process altogether. I don't want you listening to the voice inside of you that's like, oh, the piece is bad, you're bad, womp, womp. I want you to ignore that voice entirely. Just ignore it. I want you to take it easy on yourself, at least when you're in the first 95% of the process. Later, you're going to heap pressure on yourself, but while you're in the midst of it, take it easy on yourself. It's all going to happen more smoothly if you're relaxed and your body's relaxed and your emotions are calm and you're happy, you're feeling good about yourself. If you're beating yourself up and telling yourself you suck and then you're going to be tense and your shoulders will be tight and the flow of good ideas will slow and maybe even die. Reserve judgment. Be nice to yourself. If you're cooking something, you don't decide that it's horrible and you're horrible and the world is horrible in the middle of cooking. You don't want to attack yourself in the flow of writing. Writing is hard enough. Take it easy. Let it breathe. Let yourself breathe. If it's not good enough yet, just relax and try to tell yourself, I'll get there. Once it's all down on the page and there's a decent first draft, then you move into sculptor mode. This is where it starts to come alive. This is where you look at the piece more slowly, considering sentence structure, word choice, transitions, flow, all the little parts. This is where you have the magnifying glass out and you refine and shave and snip. You cut out a word, you add a word, you flip the phrases of a sentence around, you move a paragraph, and you let your conscious mind into the process. What's the best word here? Does this sentence belong? Does this sentence need to be cut? Are there sentences or paragraphs that should just be out of here and wouldn't detract from the overall piece? Well, if you can say that, then you should probably cut it out. And one of the hard parts about editing is cutting out things that don't advance your argument, even though you think that sentence or that paragraph is incredibly well written. If it's there because you think it's a great sentence, but it doesn't advance your point, or if it doesn't fit with your overall mission in the piece, then you got to cut it out. In grad school, we referred to that concept as murdering your darlings. The bits you love because they're beautiful but don't advance the point, they gotta go. Murder your darlings. Let me pause my narrative for a moment to make a larger point about great sentences. Because when I came out of grad school, I thought, okay, I'll write beautiful sentences and people will rush to read my books and I'll get rich. And I can write lovely sentences all day long. But over a few books and a few years, I found out that the vast majority of the world and the readers in it do not care about beautiful sentences. What draws people into your work is the information and the insight that you provide. When you can give them interesting information about subjects they're interested in and give them insight into compelling things, that stuff draws people in way more than beautiful sentences. I'm not saying you shouldn't write great sentences, but don't let that be the center and thrust of your work people will respond much more to information and insight. Okay, so we were talking about sculptor mode, which is where you're thinking of the audience and imagining how they'll receive the work and wondering if they'll understand the point you're making. And if you're not sure, then change it to make sure it does. In sculptor mode, I'm reading the piece with other people's eyes, perhaps trying to inhabit specific other people's minds and looking at the piece from their perspective and considering what they know or how they look at the world. How will the piece seem to them? What arguments will they make that I can respond to now while I'm writing? 
when your piece is out in the world, you won't be able to respond to the arguments people have. So you've got to predict what those will be and respond to them in the piece. You don't want the reader saying, the writer didn't think about this. You have to be quicker than the reader. You have to make sure that they'll understand what you're talking about. After sculptor mode, I go into the last mode, which is city planner mode, which just means stepping back from the piece and taking more of a bird's eye view. I want to make sure the flow makes sense. I want to see how it fits into the body of writing about this subject that's already out there. I want to make sure my research is up to the minute, if that applies. I want to make sure everything is right and the edits I made in the previous mode all make sense. This is my last look. This is where inspector number nine examines every bit of the piece to make sure every sentence is quality. Are there any sentences where I'm phoning it in or being vague? Is there an idea that's important that I'm missing? This is the time to remember every time you put words you wrote under your name, your reputation is on the line. I don't mean that in any hyperbolic way. Your reputation as a writer is shaped by every piece you do. Your opinions, your style, your take, all of that is consumed by readers and writers alike, and they will judge you. When I was writing about music for Rolling Stone and I was finishing a cover story on a big artist, I knew the other major music writers will read my piece, and I knew they will judge it, and they will judge me. And that would make me feel pressure to make sure my piece was better than anything I could do, better than anything they could do. That pressure helped me to find the mental energy to make my pieces great. So I'm trying to heap that pressure on you. Look, I don't have much time as a reader. Readers are busy. If I see your byline and I read your piece and it's blah, the next time I see your byline, I might not read the piece. But if I read something you wrote and it captivates me, then I will definitely read the next thing you write. Every time I see John Jeremiah Sullivan's name, I know the piece is going to be good. Whenever I see Malcolm Gladwell, I know it's going to be good. When I see the name Isabel Wilkerson or Zadie Smith or Greg Tate or Charles Blow, it's always good. They all have one thing in common, that I associate their brand with many things, but most importantly, I associate their brand with quality. Their pieces are always thoughtful and smart and well-written, and they always require my attention. There's some writers who've written whack pieces and I've never read them again. I can still recall one writer who I won't name, but this person was considered a hotshot at the New York Times, a rising star. They wrote a few solid pieces, nothing bad, but nothing killing me. And then they wrote something that was whack. The sentences were fine, but the take, the opinion, the perspective was way off. The soul of the piece was dishonest. I could tell the writer was scared of saying the truth. And I never read that writer again. Anytime I ever saw that person's byline, I skipped the piece. Our relationship as reader and writer died because of one bad piece. It's not about disagreeing. It was a bad piece. It's not enough to have most of your pieces be great. If you want to be a great writer, all your work must be great. You've got to always give us interesting ideas, well-written sentences, well-chosen words, but not too many SAT words. I want you to give me the right words, carefully curated words, but I don't want you sending me to the dictionary every two minutes. A brand is built through consistency. Every time you encounter the brand, the values are the same until you come to automatically associate that brand with those values. 
as a writer, if you want to be known, you got to approach every piece as if your reputation hangs in the balance because it does. Look, if you're developing as a writer, one thing you can do to get better is to read a ton. You can't be a great writer without being a good reader. You can also go to an MFA program, but it's not necessary. If you can't go to one, you can replicate one critical piece of those programs. In MFAs, there's always the crit, where people tear your piece up and suggest ways to make it better. You need that. You need a friend you trust who's a writer who can read your work and tear it up and help you make it better. Every writer needs that, but they're hard to find. So if you want me to be that tough but loving reader you can trust, email me at bookcoach at torre.com or go to my site, torrebookcoach.com, and we can talk about it. Okay, that's class for today. Thank you so much for listening to Free MFA. Please leave a review and tell the writers in your life about this show. And don't miss my other podcast, Torre Show, where I interview amazing people about success. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with more advice for my tribe of writers. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.